Help keep Kinks and Beats Daily alive with a $4 monthly contribution and receive exclusive bonus episodes as our thank you to you. Visit herohabit.com slash shop for more details. Welcome to Kings and Beats Daily. I'm your host, Tony Fry. Thank you for downloading yet another episode. We are on number 165. If this is your first download, you've got a lot of catching up to do. And if this is your 165th download, thanks for sticking with us all this time. As I said at the top of this episode just 35 seconds ago, um, if you uh, are able and love this show and want to help keep it ad-free and help us keep it in production, because there are expenses that go along with that, a simple $4 contribution every month, which you can cancel at any time, um, will get you some bonus episodes that I'm not going to release on the main feed until we are completely done with this podcast. So we're talking, you're getting a five-year head start at best with all the songs we have yet to go. Um, so you can swing by herohabit.com slash shop and look at podcast support and um, contribute there if you can. And that helps us a great deal over at Hero Habit. Keep this in production. All right. Um, Speaking of Hero Habit, also, we have a new-ish Facebook group that you can join dedicated to this podcast, facebook.com slash groups slash kinks and beats. I encourage you to go visit there and start some conversations with other fans. We are... um, also doing polls for songs and album covers and stuff like that. So there's going to be some stuff going on the more people we get over there. So um, if if we can get every person that listens to this to give $4 a month and every person over there to uh, uh, that listens to go over to Facebook and join the group, we are going to be doing this podcast for a long time and it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Actually, one more thing. If you uh, would like to participate in this podcast, another bonus episode that will go out to everybody, not just contributors, um, I'm asking for people to send in voicemails at 925-494-1739 with a Kinks or Beatles song that you've changed your opinion on as you've gotten older in either direction. This could be a song you loved in high school that you can't stand now or vice versa. Um, Kinks, Beatles, the solo acts, any of them. Uh, I'd like to hear what songs have changed and in what way your opinion has changed as you've gotten older. I just had one recently that I'll share on that podcast, um, a kink song that I've completely changed my view on recently. All right, enough housekeeping. Let's get to today's episode, which is about Real Love by The Beatles. This was released March 4th, 1996, backed with a live version of Babies in Black. And this was as part of their Beatles anthology project. This was the opening track of Anthology Volume 2, which is, in my opinion, the best of the three anthology volumes. Um, And it was the last single release of new original Beatles music. Um. It peaked at number four in the UK and number 11 in the US. It was one of their fastest um, singles to go gold. And it peaked in num- at number four in the UK despite not getting any airplay. That was just based on sales of the single, which is really something. I think it's uh, unfair because they, they, it, they banned it from the BBC because um, the Beatles weren't contemporary. And even releasing a brand new song in 1996 wasn't good enough to make it onto contemporary radio. Um, 
And there's a whole thing you can you can look up some stuff on that. Paul wrote an article or like a uh, an essay about it, and some members of Parliament got involved. It was a whole thing. Um, but needless to say, it was a hit around the world. It sold a lot of copies, and I think uh, it stands as a Beatles song uh, among some of their best work. John's on vocals and piano. Paul is on backing vocals, acoustic guitar, bass, piano, harmonium, harpsichord, and percussion. If you listen to the intro, you can hear you can hear John's piano part because it's kind of a muffled um, piano part, uh, just because of the nature of how he recorded it with the. Uh, you know, just a regular old handheld tape recorder aimed at his voice. So the piano is almost a background noise. But if you listen real hard, you can hear the harmonium playing long tones underneath it, a lot like uh, the sounds that we heard on We Can Work It Out way back in the 60s. And you can also hear the harpsichord plunking out little arpeggios and stuff. So all three of the keyboard instruments you can hear right in the intro before everything really starts kicking in. Uh, Harrison's on backing vocals, electric guitars, acoustic guitar, and percussion. Ringo's on backing vocals, drums, and percussion. And Jeff Lynn, who produced this track, is on backing vocals and guitar, presumably electric, uh, acoustic strumming, because there's a lot of acoustic guitars on this. The Lennon portion of this song was recorded in July 1980 in Bermuda, five months before his murder. And the Beatles recorded their portion in February 1995. So this has been sitting on a shelf for 15 years. Different versions of this song had been leaked out during uh, on bootlegs. There's a version of this song on the Imagine soundtrack from 1988. Um, that's different from the one that the Beatles would superimpose their parts onto. But the earliest known recording of the song dates back to 1977. And Lennon would record home demos of this song several times between that time and the time of his death. And for a minute, it was being it was being considered to be on double fantasy. So maybe had he lived, um, his follow up album would have had this song on it because he was toying with it. It was in the track listing of potential tracks uh, in the early stages of of uh, recording double fantasy, which was his last full length album while he was alive. Um, so this was something he'd, he'd worked on a long time, and I think he thought highly of this song. Um, but I also think maybe if you listen to it, he changes the words a lot. He changes the song structure a lot. There's points where he changes the chord progressions. Um, not a ton. Little, like a lot of his passages would be changed, but the core of the song would stay the same uh, harmonically. So I think this was a work in progress that he just never felt like he got ready enough for um, taking to the recording studio. Um, so there's a bunch, you can go on YouTube and you can find a bunch of these recordings. It was originally composed to be part of a stage musical. Now, I'd never heard this before until I did the research and I got stuck in one of those loopholes where, or, you know, where it's like, I see it on Wikipedia and so I go digging a little deeper and I find another article that says the same thing, but it's basically word for word what I saw on Wikipedia. But they do cite a biographer and um, some press stuff that Yoko and John had done at the time where they discuss a musical called The Ballad of John and Yoko that John was supposedly writing that was basically their story. And this song was one of the songs that was being written for that musical. Obviously, that never uh, came to fruition or amounted to anything, but it was something that he was working on during his five-year 
break from the music industry to raise his youngest son. If you listen to all the takes that are available, which you can do on YouTube and various different releases, um, it has been officially released several times between Imagine, the Lennon Acoustic album. I think it's on the Lennon Anthology. Then there's the Beatles version. There's a lot of versions available. Um, there's a version on acoustic guitar where he sings real life instead of real love. And to me, that sounds like it's an outtake from the White Album Sessions and it proves that this is um, or was the perfect song for the Beatles to take up because they wanted it to sound like a Beatles record. And this, if you hear it stripped down to its bare bones, just John and a guitar, uh, it truly does sound like a Beatles song. I mean, why wouldn't it? It's a, you know, quarter of the Beatles wrote it. Um. And that version is also cool because he seems to kind of dip back into the bridge for isolation where he does, I don't expect you to understand uh, very, very similar to the bridge from isolation, which we talked about a little while ago. So it's a good one to listen to. So I, I encourage you to check it out because one thing it does is it proves what a good song this is. And I think this is a beautiful composition in every respect. And and some of the aspects that John had omitted from this particular take that they used or that he hadn't written yet, you know, depends on the chronology of these demos, because there are points when he changes the the turnarounds and then he adds a bridge and then there's not a bridge there, but he's got the old turnarounds and it is there's all these different combinations. So whether he omitted them or he hadn't written them at the time of this particular um, demo it still shows him at the top of his powers as a harmonic genius. And saying that it's not harmonically a very out there song, except for a couple points that I'll talk about, but this is not a standard pop chord progression, but it's very close. And the way the melody lays on top of it, it's haunting and beautiful, I think. And it's one of those songs that hits the emotional notes that it needs to hit, whether it's John on an acoustic guitar or a piano or the full band arrangement, every version of this song uh, has this emotional gravity to it. And it's just beautiful. Um, The band recording is extremely Beatles-esque with every player hitting all of their signature marks. Paul's on two different bases. He's on the stand-up bass that was played by Elvis Presley's bass bassist. And then he's also on his electric bass. Um, but it's really George for me that shines on this recording. And if you've ever doubted my assertion that George Harrison is one of the greatest guitarists of the rock era, listen to this track loud with your headphones and your eyes closed. Cause throughout the song, he adds these little riffs on various guitars. So each tone is different. He'll do one tone that sounds like a, maybe an amplified acoustic guitar. And then the next fill is, you know, almost like a slide guitar. And then the next fill is a much more uh, driven guitar sound. Like he's got, he's playing on different guitars with different tones for each fill. So it's, it's not even like um, he's arranging a guitar part. He's orchestrating an entire uh, musical, you know, counterpoint to it where you've got, you know, it's the equivalent of saying, all right, between these two verses, I'm going to have the flutes carry us into the next verse. And then after that verse, I'm going to have the trumpets carry us into a verse. And then leading into the solo, we're going to have the trombones do something. It's like he's orchestrating this in a way. And um, his 
his technique. I mean, everything in it, the guitar tones, um, everything is perfectly placed, perfectly executed, and it heightens the emotion uh, of John's chord changes on this. And the technique with bends, slides, vibrato, and sustain are masterful. His vibrato and the way he sustains a note, um, or he'll hit a note and, you know, he'll where most guys would play it on beat one and then bend up to the next note on beat two, he'll hold that first note a beat or two longer before he, you know, resolves into the chord tone um, with the bend or the release or whatever he's doing. And so he's got this where he's just adding all this tension and, and, and almost like a blues player, but still, you know, in that pop rock, style and i and his guitar solo on this is great his work on both of these songs this one and free as a bird i think is some of the best that he ever did on a beatles record but he's one of those things where plenty of people could play the notes i could learn the solo it's not super flashy it's not crazy complicated it's 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 a very you know elegant in its simplicity but you can play the, there's a difference between playing the notes and replicating the way he makes those notes sound and that i don't think there's anybody that can really play it the way he played it there's something about the way he approached all these techniques and mixed them in um with each other that really set him apart from any other guitar player in my opinion and that, that's the mark of greatness for me if you can have a signature sound which he's had several signature sounds and he's a master mimic. He could go from uh, uh, rock to country to Chuck Berry to, you know, and, and, and do it faithfully, a faithful execution of all these different styles and have this master of the technique. That's, that's the genius to me. So onto the chords. Um, I am doing this in a different key. John did it in D minor or he starts in D minor. It doesn't stay in D minor long. We'll talk about that. And uh, the Beatles sped it up a little bit, about a half step, I think. So that's why it sounds very high. And John's vocal sounds a little bit chipmunky because they sped up the tape. I can't sing that um, uh, uh, that high in the studio, especially when I have a young baby sleeping in the next room. So I've lowered it a little bit for the sake of demonstration. But he starts off on a minor chord. So it's just a one to five. In this case, it's a D minor to an A major. And then almost like a, uh, a Picardy third, which usually comes at the end of a song, he just says, okay, we've had four measures in the minor key. Let's go straight to the major because the verse is in the major. And then he goes right there. So that's fine. From this moment on, I know exactly where my life will go. Now that's the chord right there. He does a one to a three uh, to a six. These are all standard chords. Um, I mean, you don't hear a one, three, six all the time, but these are all in the key of... Uh, that he's playing in his home key, but then he does this augmented chord. Uh, 
Now, most guys would have done. You end because that's the five. So he's going one, three, six, and then an augmented five to add that, which raises the fifth. Instead of. And and that's that's the hook right there of the verse is that chord. And it also leads into the next chord. Beautifully. So we're going. So that's a four chord, then a two to five, one. Pretty, pretty simple stuff. Um, like I said, it's not particularly crazy and it's very close to standard pop changes, but that augmented chord, that is, that's where that Beatles sound comes from. This moment on, I know exactly where my life will go. Seems that all I really was doing was waiting for love. Then he goes to the chorus. No need to be afraid. A minor four chord. Where does that come from? And then he goes into the Stand By Me chord. Which is, you know, obviously a song he liked. He had a hit with that, you know, that cover. But it's just the... When the night is young the land is dark He just takes those chords um it's a, a one six four five and speeds them up it's real love. It's real. so there he is doing standard pop chords then for the interlude the, the guitar break um they take it up a, a half step or a whole step rather and then they resolve it on a suspended five chord. Some chord charts will say it's augmented. It's not an augmented chord. It's a suspended chord. And that takes us back to the original key. So he shifts keys just for the guitar solo, or the band does. That's something I'm sure they did in the studio. And then it's back to the uh, the standard chord progression. So it's it's one of those things that not crazy complicated just complicated enough and and some of the chords you know he's got like a minor six chord um in the chorus and he's got these augmented chords and all that kind of stuff it adds just enough tension and that's where a lot of the emotion is pulled from is from these altered chords otherwise it's basically just a a 1950s pastiche but you throw these little elements in and all of a sudden you've got this really beautiful song. If you haven't listened to it in a while, I, I encourage you to go do that and give it a listen. It's, it's a really solid piece of music. And 
listen to his performance, his vocals, but then listen to George on guitar and tell me I'm wrong. It's good stuff. Um, if you'd like to tell me I'm wrong, you can reach me, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com or call me at 925-494-1739 or join our Facebook group. And all this information can be found at herohabit.com. There's a podcast button. You look for Kinks and Beats. All the information you need is right there, including a directory of all the shows we've already done and um, some articles we've written about the Kinks and the Beatles. All right. That's it for me today. Thank you for listening. Make sure you swing by iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. And I will talk to you next time. Adios. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by herohabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. Herohabit.com. Collect your heroes.